Hello, Henrietta. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the conversations with Jason Campbell and Henrietta Galena. Now, Henrietta, for this episode, we are we're going to try something a little different, and uh, that is a a film review. You know, I think there's so much. <laughs> there's a lot of con- there are a lot of conversations that are being had right now. There's, there's a lot of talking that's going on, and I certainly appreciate all of it. I'm downloading so much important content. I'm dialoguing about such important things right now. But um, in the interest of a little levity, let's say, and that's not to say that this is not without it, <laughs> uh, without some key issues and themes in this film, because there certainly are. And that's what attracted us to actually doing this review. But for this episode, we are going to review or talk about, just have a conversation about the film, the remix that just appeared on Netflix a couple of days ago. And essentially the remix is a film about the hip hop and streetwear and its influence on the fashion industry, uh, particularly in the 90s and, and not. But it's not just about that, Henrietta, is it? There are a handful of key themes that unfolded in this film that I thought uh, was woven together quite nicely. And it dovetails very well into this period in terms of like identity and accountability and telling one story and a host of other things that I'm very excited to get into. So we are going to talk about the remix. I've watched it and it's great because look, we're still in the midst of a pandemic in the US. Shit's getting even more crazy, if you could believe it. So it's like there is a lot to be taken in and there's so many documentaries and so much to watch. So I appreciate this moment of levity. But like you said, it's really not so disconnected to (laughs) a lot of what we talk about (laughs) anyway in fashion, which I think is what was really interesting. Like ultimately the remix is a documentary about hip hop cultures, the black cultures influence on fashion essentially. And what I loved about it was that through line narrative of Misa Hilton and yeah. her story. It was incredibly powerful and it was really well done. There was a ton of talking heads. There was a ton of imagery. I loved the music references. Honestly, that whole 90s R&B, you know, just really took me back to the good old days. There was a real sense of nostalgia that I just felt so good. And honestly, I felt a sense of pride and just really seeing a real recognition of Black influence, Black culture, and more specifically hip-hop and R&B, which is really just my whole vibe. Just seeing that influence was both a moment of pride. It was so inspiring. But also there were disappointing elements to it, like seeing Misa's story, how she's like, I had to give up my house, I had to live in my car. Kirby's story as well, Kirby Jean Raymond from PMRs. There were a lot of hard moments where they addressed appropriation and how fashion isn't set up for us. You know, we were replaced by the white stylists. Our brands were appropriated by the bigger brands that didn't want us in the first place. So it had that nice tension between just being really inspiring and just being really energizing in many ways, but also just really talking about the harsh realities that is actually another through line in the racial conversation in fashion. Well, let's talk about the pride um, that you mentioned earlier. Let's talk about that first, because what was most 
powerful and most potent for me in this documentary. And um, for the record, I lived through this. While hip hop was not my genre of music, essentially after I moved from Jamaica, I grew up outside of New York in Connecticut. And so I listened, you know, I was always curious about pop culture, always knew what was going on. So while I was a skinhead and a punk listening to punk music and New York hardcore music, I knew what was going on with Madonna and I also knew what was happening with hip hop music. So this was an era that I really grew up in and subsequently um, having lived that period in fashion as well. But speaking of that pride, really it was elucidated so well in this film, the global impact of black culture and um, black styling. And if you take a look, if you really examine fashion over the last two to three decades, you really see how hip hop culture and black culture and the styles that emerged from that time, it's tremendous influence on fashion. Like just that image of like Chanel and all the the mega gold chains coming down that runway. And you're like, that did not come before. Yes, you you, you know, you saw the gold accent from uh, the original Chanel design, but then the way that hip hop brought that swag to the global platform is so tremendous. You really see how that influence has started and you see how it has really stayed in the industry. All of that swag, Black culture continued, Black culture, Black styling continued to influence this industry throughout. And Misa, um, Misa Hilton said a very important point in this. She's like, it's unbelievable to see how my fashion has gone around the world and then come back. And that's exactly what had happened. And in the midst of that, Henrietta, billions of dollars were earned from this sensibility and billions of dollars would continue to be earned from the stylings of Black culture. That was such a potent thing. And I've always known this. As I said, I've lived this. I've always known this. But to see it captured in a film and Misa's history, just and this is only a fraction of the film, could have been erased if she did not um, attempt to tell her story through a documentary like this. For sure. And I really, I applaud MCM for underwriting that documentary and getting that story told because she really was in danger of that erasure that we talk so much about when we talk about being Black in fashion. And even Vanessa Kingori, the publisher of British Vogue, was very honest in saying, I didn't know about Misa until relatively recently. And that's the whole thing. We tend to not really dig deep to see where does this really come from? And so you could talk about Misa and her whole trajectory. People thought that that stuff was coming out of the main brands. No, no, no. Look at Lil' Kim. Lil' Kim, honestly, oh my God, I used to idolize her. She, to me, is a modern feminist icon. And I don't know that she really gets that credit. She really came on the scene and just gave zero fucks, really was empowered in her body, could rap just as well as a man, talked about it and really spoke about all of the aggressions and all of the elements of what it is to be a woman and the the intersectional elements of it and the complications. And and she really was ahead of her time. She was powerful and amazing. And that crush on you video, iconic. And so when we saw how that reference from the crush on you video right through to her 99 MTV Awards purple mermaid look, when we see how that look has been replicated time and time and time again. It's interesting to think that there's so many people that don't really know where that came from, you know? And so that's really interesting when you trace a lot of things back in fashion, it really does 
come from us. It comes from Black culture. And I think that this documentary made some really good headway into really explaining that when you see Chanel and that styling on the catwalk, when you see these brands doing X, Y, Z, you could usually trace it back to not just blackness, but black women, which I thought was really empowering as well. It was really powerful. And we shouldn't, we should not overlook the title because the title is very, um, is very integral in the telling of the story. And in that remix, it even goes back to the time, um, of slavery when speaking to the creativity of black people and their contribution, even at that time to fashion that black people were forced to use the discards of their white masters and then recreate remix. Mm-hmm you know, their clothing into something that's that's completely different, forced to use different materials and different elements to create something new. And so I felt that was a really important foundation in telling this story because it goes on, obviously, to the remixing in music. And speaking specifically to what Misa contributed to this remix philosophy, um, essentially when, um, when, when Sean Combs, who, as you know, is Puffy, um, Sean Puffy Combs, who is this major music adversario at the time and continues to be, um, and he essentially defined that whole hip-hop movement at the time, Misa, instead of dressing these R&B and hip-hop stars in this sort of like suiting that was kind of the, the order of the day, she remixed it by putting them in streetwear while they were still crooning R&B song, which really just led to an explosion of styles. It essentially introduced streetwear in an arena that it had never been seen before, worn in a way that had, had never been worn before. And that kind of remix, while yeah. it may seem like a... It may seem like a small detail, not at all. That kind of positioning really catapulted the whole streetwear, <laughs> what would have, what would become essentially the streetwear industry. And again, we cannot speak about the billions and billions of dollars that has been generated on the backs of this cultural uh, contribution. Yeah, I definitely thought that the remix component was interesting, or not even component, the remix framing was really interesting because we debate that today, right? So Virgil's entire trajectory, he calls it mood boarding and 2.0ing, and we argue the merits of that even today. But what was really great is seeing that trajectory starting from slavery all the way through to what we see today. We have that sort of timeline when we look at remixing and just really understanding how through stress, through strife, through survival mode, we are able to take these elements and make them ironic, make them our own, make them cool, make them street, make them desirable, make them harsh. And how that's still taken from us in many ways by mainstream culture. And I think that also was a really interesting undertone. Like, I think Barry Smith said it best when she said, I don't see us benefiting from these billions of dollars. And then Kirby Jean Raymond of Pierre Moss very poignantly said, fashion loves Black culture as long as it's not on Black bodies. And I just thought, wow. So it really did make me think in many ways. It was an element of escapism and joy, but it also really made me think about more complicated themes that go into culture. But along the lines of, let's say, this complicated theme, this whole idea of 
you've made it or I've made it and how that influenced the luxury space. I thought that was so powerful in many ways, a lot that was exhibited in, you know, in hip hop culture, that braggadocious, that grandiose styling, the logo in the logo in that came from Dapper Dan, like showing that being ostentatious about, um, about your wealth or the perceived wealth or the wealth, you know, that you wish you had like showing that off in many ways, that helped to define exactly what luxury is today. It took some of that, a lot of the stuffiness out of it, and it brought in a lot of the showiness into it. And as, as someone said in the film, like, you know, for Misa, no one was doing, you know, via, via Dapper Dan, Dapper Dan was doing all of these customization with, you know, the Fendi logo and the Gucci logo and so forth, and the MCM logo, like, that kind of creativity that shows these luxury houses that are taking Boku dollars right now, they it essentially showed them how to do it. Before these hip hop stylists, it was like very dusty and moribund, and that's what invigorated the new life into the industry. And I saw this happening in front of my eyes. I saw that, you know, I, I saw when the hip hoppers influence becomes so great that they could not be ignored by the Versace's of the world. But what happened is they were invited to sit in the front row and have a fabulous party in Milan. Um, but as you referenced Bevy Smith's comment, were they really benefiting from there? Were they the beneficiaries of, uh, speaking from an economic perspective, of this influence and this high impact global influence? I, I, I dare say not. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think so many themes from tales of abandonment to appropriation was interesting, but also how it mirrors, really mirrors what's happening today. You see that Kirby was written off for doing his Black Lives Matter collection, and now it's in the Smithsonian, and now people are writing about it today as a real iconic show, which really mirrors, even if you look at what's happening with Colin Kaepernick, I mean, you, he went from the president calling the son of a bitch and it ending his NFL career to literally the NFL and the baseball guys and all of these people doing the exact same thing and almost taking it further with, you know, the Black Lives Matter t-shirts and, and, and putting it all over the stadiums. And so you see how these things sort of swing in circles, really. You know, Dapper Dan, he got busted, had to go underground for copying luxury brands. And then you have this mega luxury brand copying him. And I, I do appreciate that they really clarified that that it was really sort of the black Twitter, black social media movement that really helped to reconcile that situation, which is how that partnership came together, because I know that point has been argued quite a lot also. So, right. yeah, I I don't know. I also just watched it today, so I'm still like processing. A lot of things are still sort of sinking in for me as we're talking about it, but it was just really powerful. It was very, it was just like very beautiful. Like it was, I was just very proud. I was like, I love us. Like this is so wonderful. Everything from Beyonce's apeshit video right through to all of Mary J's old school videos and the age of the expensive music videos, TLC. We've done so much as a collective for fashion. I think it's actually a really important piece of uh, information out there, um, actually, especially at this time when we're talking about equity, we're talking about inclusion, we're talking about diversity. And I think this is a really powerful tool to show, look, our contribution is everything. Right? And okay. I think that that is really great against this backdrop of racial unrest right now in fashion. I, I agree. And, you know, much of what came out of that um, era 
at least where it was visible, were in publication like The Source and most importantly, um, Vibe magazine. And I couldn't help but to reflect on like, wow, even in this time, and I know that that publishing world is very different now. The magazine world is very different. And a lot of magazines, white-centric or black and otherwise, have gone the wayside. But to think that we really do not have a, a high-influence um, forward-looking fashion publication that's Black-centric, I thought that was like, that That was also very telling. Considerate of the contribution during this period, I was just like, it's, it's very telling that there is not one that I could uh, that I could reference in, in looking um, at this film. And another observation, actually, and while this did not, um, and not to, not to recut the, the documentary, but um, I, I was thinking about this as I was seeing this, I was thinking about the ball culture. I was thinking about the parallel, like while this was going on, the ball culture going on and to the whole point of like you know them aping the luxury the luxury world both of those movements were essentially showing this this whole feeling of i've made it and really really uh having such a such an influence to the to the world of luxury i i i, I must say the dots have not really been connected I, I put this out there for someone i actually think that would be a great documentary to connect the dots between hip-hop culture um and and ball culture particularly at the time of the you know the the, the 80s and so forth, I think that would be something really fantastic to see. But more importantly, I'm speaking to the contribution of, yeah. um, of Black people from these urban cultures, not just in urban cultures, in all, in all places that have not been told and in many instances have not been recorded. I'm glad that there was such a record. Um, as you mentioned, there was just this great footage overall to help in the telling of the story. And then, of course, the talking heads were really quite lovely in, in, in elucidating that, too. That is so crazy that you reference ball culture and that crossover, because while I wasn't thinking about the crossover at the time of the 80s and the early 90s, I was actually thinking about the convergence as we see it now, right? So the idea that we have the complete difference of gender expression and how they were talking mm. about like young thug and there was the Balenciaga catwalk of the degendering of fashion. And I was thinking about that convergence as it pertains to today, largely off the theme that we've spoken about many times, which is the idea of hip hop being really recognized for its sartorial prowess and actually being a lot more progressive from those really high points of, you know, Kanye and the Givenchy skirt to young thug proudly wearing a dress to Frank Ocean wearing makeup, just really looking at how hip hop has actually had that convergence moment sort of more so now. So that it's interesting. I was kind of looking at it, but from a completely different angle. And I do think that's a really interesting topic to talk about how they were, you know, happening in parallel and then how now they seem to have met at this point of convergence. Well, that's what happens when we start to see our stories told, isn't it? When we start to see our stories told, yeah, it, it, it sparks our imagination. It has us remember, oh, what about this? And what about that that has largely been untold? What about this? And what about that yeah. person? Prince. And so, Prince. That again. Prince. <laughs> right. Exactly. So that's what I also find fascinating about this. But and let's not, I know you touched on it, Henrietta, but um, just to keep, make sure that um, at least we talk about the main themes, this idea of women's role and their sliding, let's say, their lack of crediting for their contribution to hip hop culture and their styling, that's, a, that's an important theme in this documentary. And I think that we should not overlook that. And in many ways, it's not just Black people and their, their erasure from the contribution to fashion generally, but also just women and their contribution to the whole picture. 
Absolutely. It's funny because I was actually also just watching another sort of series around Black women's erasure in this Black Lives movement because there's so much focus on Black cisgender heterosexual men and not really about the women who are also victimised and brutalised and the women who are doing the work to actually try to fight for justice. And so that also made me think a lot in this film also because, you know, the men of hip-hop, it was a very male-dominated industry. And we think about Biggie, the Puffies and the Jodices and these larger-than-life figures. And to Kirby's point, you always think that they dress themselves. But also think about hip-hop, you think of all of the key men. And then when you think about the women, so many names get overlooked for various reasons. And so I definitely think that you're right, there is a risk of erasure there. But I think we're looking at that more so now. We are looking at that more so. And we also have to look, you know, without trying to indict history, um, we also have to look at who was making those decisions back um, during those times as well. As someone said in the film, when people talk about American fashion, Misa Hilton's name does not come up. <laughs> you know, that, that she's not on the list. And think about who was the Vogue of the world. I mean, is the, was the Vogue of the world really telling the Misa Hilton story? Uh, no. So in many ways, we also have to look at who were, weren't telling the stories and who is incumbent on to tell uh, the story now. And well, I'll actually respond to the second bit of it. I think what's great is that we're taking it upon ourselves to tell our story. And I have to reference Andre Leon Talley's book in this chat as well. And while they're a departure from each other in terms of sensibility and otherwise and periods and so forth, um, in some respects, I had a similar feeling in the telling of both of those stories. I was thrilled to read Andre telling his story, you know, as he experienced it, without it having been co-opted by anyone else. And in this instance, I think Misa was able to tell it with a broader lens, but at least she was able to really tell her story, her personal story, and as well about the, the, the movement or, or what turned into a movement uh, from that era. That was, that was compelling to, to, to me. Yeah, I really hope that she feels really great and proud about this documentary. I think that um, hopefully now people are going to be speaking her name, they're going to be researching her work, they're going to be crediting and attributing correctly. They're going to be looking at these iconic moments. Think about everything that David LaChapelle was doing in that okay. moment. It was wow. all her. And so I'm really excited for that. I think it was so incredibly heartbreaking to see you can be at those dizzy heights and really form a movement and a moment and a look and an aesthetic and a whole vibe and end up being homeless. And like when she said that people who made it started working with the other stylists. And even when you look at stylists like Carlene de Cerf, who totally had that same sensibility, but is like mm. a storied, iconic, oh. you know, revered stylist. And, you know, you have Misa Hilton did the work and she's living in her car, you know? Right. So it's just like, you know, you wonder like, why wasn't she styling those Chanel shows? Why wasn't uh, she? Why wasn't she doing the Elle magazine, the Elle magazine right. from back in the day that, um, you know, that Carlene ended up defining those, you know, beladened or laden arms of, 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 you know, bracelets and so on and so forth. All that, all that sort of ghetto fabulous inspired. That may not be PC any longer, but that was the term that was being well, used back then. That's what it was called a, in the yeah. day. That's yeah. how it was referred to. Right. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, also just a, a funny moment was um, those catwalks when it was like, then it made it to the big stage, then it made it to the catwalk. And I was like, 
start with the walking to the <laughs> oh but do, it was let's like not... all of the white models and i was like oh wow don't miss that moment the, don't miss that moment though all of the moments of appropriation with the white models and the dreads. And I'm surprised they didn't give a com de garçon moment with the cornrows, but they had all of these moments of how hip hop's been appropriated and the walking down the catwalk. That literally was like a moment that I was just mm-hmm. like, oh, hey, Jesus. I did not miss that either. <laughs> I did not miss that either, but it was also very telling. You know, they cut from the scene where Bevy Smith said that was the beginning of the end. And it cut right to Tommy Hilfiger. That scene was right over to those white boys, you know, aping hip hop gestures and so forth was Tommy Hilfiger. And that was a very telling cut. That was a very telling edit to me, because in many ways, that's exactly what happened. While they were uh, quite an upstart, I mean, there were the FUBUs and all those kind of brands of the world. They did have a run, but ultimately it was a brand. And in fact, Tommy did. Tommy Hilfiger did go to, you know, sort of underwrite some of those brands. But it was the, like a Tommy Hilfiger, a white man, that ultimately made the billions from our culture. Truly. So I thought that edit was a very, was very telling. And I got the message. It was very, very pointed, I think, and very intentional. And let's also not forget that he really had a problem with hip hop really embracing his brand and his label until he didn't. So that, I think, is also an interesting piece in this. Like, he really lost his shit about it and really worked hard to distance himself from hip hop's embracing of his brand until it served him. But then he just replaced the authenticity. So, yeah, I mean... We could really talk about this forever. It's one of those documentaries that you could watch again and see a whole host of different things. But it was so well done. I really liked also how it was really mapped against the new Black Vanguard, shall we say, from Kirby to Vanessa Kingori, you know, and, and also mapping their accounts with people who really were there and lived through it. I thought that April Walker's story was really interesting. Yeah. As I heard story from Walker Ware, I thought that was really interesting as well. Um, yeah. There are so we, we're not gonna we're not gonna give you every single details, even though we spoke about quite many uh, themes in this movie. So we would really encourage you to see it on Netflix. It again the remix, and um, I, we would love your comments. It's just something that we enjoy, and we think uh, I I thought it was an excellent slice of history, and as I said, one that I remember um, not vividly enough. One that I remember vividly enough, and and certainly was there for a good fraction of that. So it was, it was nice to see the chronicling there. I think so. And I think that I would implore everyone to watch it. Also to just help to frame a lot of what's happening right now, because I mm. think that when we see a lot of people who are really quite disheartened or angry or upset about the treatment mm. of Black people in fashion, I think to really understand, and don't forget, this is just, this is really centered in the hip hop culture more so but just to see from that one facet how much we've influenced and underpinned and underwritten the fashion industry the fashion culture the fashion aesthetics the business that's just one function that doesn't like you said even go into ball culture and sports and you know hair and all of these other parts of our very multifaceted community and history just to see just that one part that contribution to where we are today because this is something we've always known we lived through it we've always 
seen this beauty and these references and these influences and known these icons. So it's really interesting now to bring it onto a more inclusive world stage and it doesn't get more sort of mainstream than Netflix. So I think it will be interesting to help people really understand just the Black contribution to fashion uh, to really help sort of frame this entire racial problem that we're facing right now that we're trying to fix. Totally agree. Totally agree. So we implore you to see it and um, and would love to hear your thoughts. You could weigh in on our Instagram page, which is theconversations.podcast at theconversations.podcast. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye.